All right, so we have spent the first two weeks of this book of Ruth. And I would just ask you this, as we think about the, these first two weeks, the characters that we've encountered, <clears throat> would you say that the characters have been like good characters or kind of negative characters? Huh? Jesse, you are ahead of me. So here's here's the thing, right? Is is you know here I just kind of did this. Elimelech and Naomi, I would say, kind of like this, right? And then Ruth and Boaz, kind of like this. But again, I think that we and here's what I read wrote in my notes. I want to be careful not just to label people as good or bad. We've done so much work as a church to kind of elevate the discussions from the simplistic. And really the kind of toxic, dualistic conversations of good, bad, in, out, us, them, etc. Right? And as we've looked at these two people, Elimelech and Naomi, um, we could highlight some incredibly positive attributes from Elimelech and Naomi. Right? And like I said about Naomi last week, I just kind of, I kind of put all these characters, I mean obviously Boaz and Ruth really kind of are, they kind of stand out. But really the, the kind of image for me is, is that of just kind of a mixed bag right? There's some wonderful things about that Trader Joe's happy trekking trail mix, the chocolate, and the chocolate, and the chocolate, and, you know, and the chocolate. But in any kind of mixed bag, there's some things you might like more of. Maybe you don't like cashews or cranberries or whatever, and there's some things that you might want less of or, or whatever. But really, Elimelech and Naomi, they're, they're really a mixed bag like all of us. So even though in very simplistic terms, you could kind of look at it like this. Um, as we look at these characters, uh, they're, they're, they're a bit of a mixed bag, right? Greg Boyle says it like this. He says, um, all of us are a whole lot more than the worst things we have done, right? And we've seen a lot of this. My dad and I were talking about this. Is You just keep seeing, you know, people have done something bad in their past, and then it makes, gets media attention, and there's the outrage cycle just kind of blows up. And I love what Greg Boyle, Greg Boyle runs Homeboy Industries up in LA, who works with, you know, ex-gang members and tries to give them a fresh start. And he has this great quote where he says, we're a lot more than the worst things we've done, right? Um, but <clears throat> as if we look at these kind of first two weeks as, and we kind of say, yeah, they, they weren't all that, all that great. I think the next two will be some, some real positive examples. Because I think sometimes in life it's important for us to have examples where we say, that person right there, I want to kind of imitate my life after. Paul says in, I'm not sure which book he says, but he says, I want you to imitate me, not me, Paul, Paul speaking, so don't imitate me. Paul speaking, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? And there's a lot about Paul's life that we would want to imitate. He does some really incredible things. And we could look at Paul or we could look at Boaz or we could look at Ruth and say, man, I want to imitate. I'd love to kind of take on some of what they do, right? The way that they work, the way that they act. So we have these two individuals, as we're going to look over the next couple of weeks, Boaz, as we are going to encounter, is this man of standing. And I'm going to explain that in a little bit. Ruth, as, as she's described, is a woman of noble character. Um, one of the interesting things, and I'll talk about this in a couple weeks too. In the Hebrew Bible, um, the book of Ruth comes in immediately after the book of Proverbs. Do you know what the last chapter in the book of Proverbs is all about? 
Yeah, the, the, that kind of wise, faithful woman that you would look for. So the book of Proverbs ends with this, like, if you want this, this you know, and, and men of, I don't know, maybe the, the ultra-Christian men have used that as like, hey, you are my Proverbs 31 woman. Um, <clears throat> but it ends with this, you know, kind of Proverbs 31, and then it goes into Ruth. So you have these two individuals who are like this, and we look at their integrity, their sacrifice, their courage, their risk, um, just really, really incredible people. And I thought we would keep the boy-girl thing going on. We did Elimelech, we did Naomi, we're going to do Boaz, we'll do Ruth, and then I got one more character at the very end. Um, so let's jump into Mr. Boaz himself. If you've got a Bible, go to Ruth chapter 2. Um, and uh, I really have enjoyed over the, the past couple months, weeks, as, as if we've read this I guess kind of in the round. So read a verse and then somebody else can read a verse and then yeah, we'll just all we'll all read it together, we'll all engage it together. So Ruth chapter two, verse one. And I'll start it and then again somebody can just read the next verse and then we'll just keep going until the end of chapter two. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather amongst the sheaves, the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from me. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the fields where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with people you did not know before. May the Lord take each what you have done. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my lord, she 
you have put me at ease in thy equipping kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. Uh, Neil found Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. <coughs> and she sat down with the harvesters, or when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks from her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about uh, whatever. A bucket. <laughs> told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen, redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, even said to me, stay with my workers said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it would be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be found. So Ruth stayed close to the woman of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Okay, excellent. Get a little kind of this, this middle portion of, of Ruth and what she does in the field. Uh, we're introduced to this character, Boaz, um, who, who kind of is this very kind and generous figure in the midst of all this. Um, if you have your, keep your finger there, and I don't know, do you need to turn a page to go to chapter four? I want to read the last couple sentences of this book. I want to talk about the lineage. Um, in 21, you have the lineage of Boaz to Obed, and it ends with King David, but we all know that one of King David's sons is a guy named Solomon, Right? David is the first one to kind of unite the kingdom of Israel. But one of the things that God speaks to King David, he says, David, you're, you're more of a warrior. You're not allowed to build this temple to me. That's going to be for someone else. So David's son, at one point, Solomon, builds the temple. Here's, here's a kind of a, you know, a rendition of what the temple would look like. Now, if you wanted to, you don't need to, but if you wanted to turn to 1 Kings 7.21, as Solomon is building this temple, right? He makes these two pillars at the beginning of the temple, right? And here's kind of as they would come in, the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant would be, um, where, where kind of the very sacrifices were the high priest. But he has these two pillars at the beginning of the temple. One's called Jachin, and one's called Boaz, right? So he's got this pillar called Boaz. Now, I will be 100% honest, and 
from what I could study, I couldn't find I couldn't find any kind of direct linkage from the man Boaz to the pillar Boaz, right? For me, as I read it, because this is the only other time Boaz is mentioned in the Old Testament. For me, as I read this, this narrative, and again, if you think of Solomon building the temple and you have this man of standing, I, to me, there's a natural conclusion. I don't know if, if this is, I'm reading something wrong, but to me, there's this kind of natural conclusion that Solomon might name one of these pillars after his great-grandfather, right? So you kind of have like this man of standing, and as he's building and constructing this, this um, temple, he has these pillars out front, one named Jachin, one named the same name as his grandfather, who, again, who is off, also a man of standing, right? The, the beginning of this book, Naomi has a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing, from the clan of Elimelech, um, whose name was Boaz. So I kind of want to, I guess, play with this a little bit because I've just been fascinated by this man, Boaz, right? And just as I read him and studied him and thought about him, this, this kind of man of standing, because there's, there's times in life when we need people in our life who we say, you know, I want to be like that person. I want to grow into that person. Does anybody have that person in their life? Maybe it's a, a grandfather or an uncle, or um, a mentor, or somebody who's been there, and you say, man, I, I see the way that that person lives, right? And I want to I imitate myself towards that. I want to be, again, kind of playing with that pillar analogy, like me. Like, I, I was thinking about this. I want to be a pillar in my local church. If I wasn't a pastor, if I wasn't, you know, doing this gig, and I just was church attendee number 722, or whatever, you know, whatever, I'd want to be a pillar in that church. I'd want to stand up in that church and help support that church. I want to do that in my neighborhood. I want to do that with my family and my extended family, the cycling community that I'm a part of. I want to kind of be that pillar. I want to work towards what Boaz was. And I think that, that he gives us some examples here in Ruth chapter 2. We finished Ruth 1 last week, and Ruth 1 ends with Naomi's bitter. We now get this man, Boaz. And if you take this man of standing right here and you look at the different translation, the way that they would translate it is another uh, translation says that he was a worthy man, that he had outstanding character, that he was a man of substance. Do we not need men of substance these days? That he was honorable. And you think about this, and I just kind of threw this up too, just as, right, just this kind of pillar analogy um, but you think about this, and this is, this is kind of where I want to, for me, as I think about my life, I'm 38, I want to grow into this. Um, this sermon, if I would have been, if, if, like, if been like an A-plus kind of a pastor, I would have done this sermon last week on Father's Day. Like the real Father's Day, men being worthy men, men of substance. But I'm only a B-minus pastor, so that's why you're getting it the week, <laughs> the week after Father's Day. Um, but I want to look at this, and I, I just, again, kind of, we're looking at Boaz as a man, and so I'll, I'll probably say men, man, a lot. Women, I'm going to get to Ruth next in a couple weeks, and we're going to go woman, woman, woman. But again, women, listen to this. Take what you can from this. Men, as we go into Ruth in a couple weeks, take what you can. I'm just going to speak kind of in the men term, but this isn't, you know, for women to kind of take the morning off. Like, oh, it's all about the men. Um, but it's, it's for both. But I'm going to kind of 
again, I'll just use the male pronoun for, for the most part this morning. So, um, again, to me, this whole teaching is, is how do we become, so to speak, a worthy man, woman? How do we come, become people of outstanding character, a man of substance, honorable? How do we do this? And, and I want to say this too. This isn't just like, like a morality and improvement scheme. Like this isn't just like, but it's, it's more, I want to hold up a vision of who we can be growing into, right? A, a vision of, I will look at this man, Boaz, and say, there are worthy, there are substantial, there are honorable things about this man that I can imitate in my life as I grow in my discipleship towards Christ, right? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. There's four things that I picked out from, from chapter two that Boaz does, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's something to look at. That's something to imitate, to honor, to, to, to have character about. So the first thing I think that Boaz does, and the first thing I think that, you know, we can, again, kind of imitate as we look at this, Boaz, he just, he, he goes with praise at work. He goes to work with praise on his lips, right? He links his vocation, if we were kind of use some New Testament language, he links his vocation with his discipleship. Boaz goes into the field, and greets the harvesters, he says, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answer. Now, that's just kind of, we would think, whatever, but normally the, the, the typical greeting would just be a, a greeting of shalom, peace to you, right? Boaz, the commentators kind of point out that this, this kind of back and forth that they have is almost the blessing of Aaron when Aaron says, the Lord be with you and the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you. It's almost as if Boaz kind of walks into the field with his harvesters and he begins by quoting scripture to them. And they respond in quoting scripture back to Boaz, right? And you see kind of the tempo that, his employ- that him as an employer, so to speak, and his employees have in this, in this, in this job, right? Out of his mouth, the first words that we get from this man, Boaz, as he's entering into work, as he's entering into his vocation, are words of praise and honor towards God, right? Often, you and I, myself included, I'm a pastor, this, I'm not excluded from this, we just show up to work, don't we? We're dragging, we have a cup of coffee in hand, we're ready to punch the clock just to make it through the day, not to get in trouble. We can't wait to get out of there, right? For all my uh, good old office space friends uh, out there. Like a lot of times, even as followers of Jesus, this is kind of our, our mentality as we come into work, right? I felt as I was kind of preparing this sermon at this point, I just feel that there's people in here in this room because I know that I do it. And I was like, yeah, I'm sure people have, that we're just, we're just kind of dogging it at work, right? God's speaking to you and he says, I've blessed you. I, I've given you great things. I'm with you and I want you to act like it in your job, in your vocation. That you would set the tone. Boaz comes in. He sets the tone at his work, right? Paul, in the book of... <clears throat> Colossians says it like this. I, I love this. And this, he's talking here about slaves and masters, which I'm going to translate a little bit. Workers and maybe employers, but workers to do what you're told by your earthly masters, 
don't just do the minimum that will don't just do the minimum that will get you by do your best work from the heart for your real master for god confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance keep in mind that the ultimate master you're serving is christ the sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible one of my favorite lines in the bible right here being a follower of jesus doesn't cover up bad work right and again, as I think about this first thing, and as Boaz kind of rolls into the fields and he's praising the Lord and he's bringing the scripture and he's bringing this kind of attitude into work, I love this about Boaz because, again, me as a pastor, like there's not every, you know, morning when I'm like, oh, yeah, I get to, like sometimes we just kind of get into that mode where we're just punching the clock or we're just doing our job. And teachers, by the way, you guys are, my teacher friends out there, you guys are just don't even have to worry about this point because you're on break right now. Rob and Jolene, I mean, Robin and Jolene, you just, just ignore this whole point. You're good. You're on the summertime. Um, but there is those times when you're just like, yeah, I'm just doing my job. Eh, I'm just punching the clock. Yeah, I just can't wait to get out of here. I'm going to lose it on somebody, right? And again, just that mentality, I like to look at Boaz right here and just say, Boaz walked into the fields praising the Lord. Walk into your field praising the Lord. The second thing that I think that kind of worthy men... <clears throat> outstanding character, men of substance, honorable people. They protect and care for racial, ethnic, gender outsiders, right? Racial, ethnic, gender outsiders. Go to verses five through nine. Let's just look at those real quick. Read those again. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? Basically, what clan is she from? What tribe is she from? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite. Notice how they're identifying her, right? She's the enemy who came back from enemy territory with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Boaz says to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me, don't glean and in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the harvesters are working and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you and whenever you are thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So he inquires about this woman and he finds out she's a racial outsider. She's an ethnic outsider. She's literally a gender outsider. Um, and there seems to be that some sort of harassments going on towards her on this field, Right? Boaz has to say to her twice, don't leave, don't go away, stay here, right? He has to say, something's happened. One of the commentators kind of puts it like this. He says, don't glean somewhere else, don't go away. It, it almost as if Ruth was getting ready to leave as Boaz is arriving. Something has been done to her by the male reapers that has made her uncomfortable enough to leave. Ruth's attempt to get a drink of water had provided the occasion for whatever's action has happened, right? Whenever you want water, go get water. Help yourself to the water. Maybe she went and she was beginning to help herself to the water and they began to put her down or harass her, right? But Boaz stands up for her. Remember, she was at the absolute bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the social ladder. One of the first things Boaz does is he kind of up, like upgrades her to to a servant girl who had rights, who had position. He gives her protection from harassment. He allows her to drink from the water jugs. 
this commentator said that foreigners would draw water for the Israelites. Women drew water for men. Boaz breaks social and cultural norms to protect her. I could probably say that a hundred times because we need to hear that. Boaz breaks social and cultural norms to protect her. Thus, Boaz's provision is extraordinary. And if you didn't like that quote, I just love this guy's last name, the, re- the, the redundant last name, Younger Junior. <laughs> good job, Younger Junior. I wonder if he just kind of tagged that on the end just to be, I, I got a good laugh out of it, right? I would say, again, men, we have to learn from this, right? Oftentimes, men, we kind of value our worth, our esteem from what we own, from what we possess, from our position at work, from all these kind of external things. And we don't understand that we will be valued and will be judged on how we treat the least of these, right? It's what Jesus says in Matthew. However you treat the least of these is how you've treated me. This is how we're going to separate, right? Do we stand up for the immigrant? Do we use our privilege to speak on behalf of other races? How do we lift up, esteem, bless, and protect the opposite sex. Now, you might be sitting here kind of like, yeah, that's nice, Eric. And we kind of silently acknowledge everybody agrees with this stuff, I think. Do we do something about it? I put this, that the worth of a true man is who he stands up for, not who he stands on. And I think over the past couple years, we've been really confronted with kind of how men have stood on top of other people, Right? We've seen a lot of men climbing on other people, putting them down, holding them in position. And Boaz gives us this example of he, again, I love how it says here, he breaks social and cultural norms to protect this young woman. James says it like this. He says that true spirituality, true religion that is pure in the eyes of our father is to make a difference in the lives of orphans and widows in their troubles, to refuse to be corrupted by the world's values, to break those cultural and social norms for for others, right? Um, I think one of the things that, Mark, you were talking about this, and I know Brian's in the back, but I think one of the things that we do with the Long Beach Rescue Mission I think one of the things that we do with Brookdale is why these things are so important because it habitually reminds us, right, who is important, that we need to protect and care for the least of these, those who have been marginalized, those who have been pushed to the side, those who have been kind of excluded. And we just habitually remind ourselves, okay, those people over the people at Brookdale, right, people without families, the people who never get visits, the people in Long Beach, these sorts of people, this is the true spirituality. What we're doing here, even though my sermon is probably an A-plus this morning, this isn't true spirituality, right? This isn't true spirituality. True spirituality is when we engage and serve the least of these. The third thing I think that um, makes Boaz a worthy man, an outstanding character, this man of substance, this, this honorable, is that he, I, I just put, we, we, you are a blessing or he is a blessing. He doesn't just talk about it, Right? He doesn't just talk about it. Are, are we familiar? Who, who knows what gleaning is? Are we familiar with gleaning? Do we need to talk about that a little bit? Who, who needs a refresher course on gleaning? Who needs a refresher course on gleaning? Rob, thank you. Gleaning. 
Rob, this is your field. It's a little bit bigger than this, but this is your, your garden that you've made. The Bible would say that, would, would give special provision if, if Rob, this was, say this is an acre, and, and what they would say is, this, Rob, is you're going to come through and you're going to pick all your, what are we picking today? Tomatoes. Tomatoes. As you're sending all your workers through to pick the tomatoes, whatever tomatoes are left over, don't go back through and pick them a second time. Don't, you know, maximize your profits, so to speak. Whatever's left over, you just leave. And if there's foreigners, if there's aliens, if there's widows, if there's the poor, they can then come through the fields and whatever they can find, they can have that, right? The Bible would even say, some of the law that was written for them, they would even say, like, leave a corner of your field un, ungleaned, unharvested. So again, for foreigners, for aliens, for those who are poor, they would have a little something. Everybody, would, it would be kind of a way, it was a social safety net for the poor, the widow, the alien, right? So what Boaz does is he allows her to eat. Remember, this is absolutely a hand-to-mouth culture, right? Hand-to-mouth culture. You're not saving food. You're not putting in the refrigerator for next week. He allows her to do some week. And again, this is just at Boaz's expense, right? The Hebrew word here too, um, I think it's so important. This, this word comes up again and again and again in the book of Ruth. The Hebrew word here is hesed, right? It's this loving kindness, but it's an action word. I don't know where I picked, I don't think this is my, my language. I picked this up somewhere along the line. Hesed is a love that is covered in action. It's never confined to just feeling. Remember, I think, uh, I think I heard you say it was about 30 pounds of food, right? It was about, one commentator said, it was about enough food for two people for 10 days, right? Two people for 10 days. That's a lot of food, right? That's a lot of food for somebody. Boaz, he doesn't just talk about being a blessing, right? Remember when Naomi prayed for her daughter-in-law and said, oh, may the Lord bless you, go away, go home, right? Boaz does something about it. Worthy men, men of character, men of substance, honorable men, they don't just, God bless you, may the Lord bless you, right? They actually do something about it. You know, sometimes, sometimes as a pastor, maybe, maybe you've even done this as a Christian, is, you know, sometimes we'll say, oh, I'm going to pray for you. I'll pray for you. And what we really mean is it's just kind of like, oh, God bless you. And you're just kind of acknowledging someone's struggle, and you never, how many of you have done that? Well, I'll pray for you, but you never pray for any of that person, right? You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we talk a lot about kind of religious, and we talk about our good game, but we don't really do it. Boaz, I think, one of the things I learned from Boaz is we don't just talk about these things. We actually follow through. There's this action step behind them. And again, Man, are we willing to put in the effort and the energy and the sacrifice that Boaz did to be a blessing, not just speak a blessing? Jesus, again, as he talks about the sheep and the goats, feed the hungry, host the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, visit the prisoners. These are the righteous people in Jesus' eyes. I know Netflix and the couch is oh so appealing. God bless you. I'll pray for you. I'm going to go back to Netflix. You're right. But this isn't the call of a Jesus follower. The call of a Jesus follower is to actually be a blessing in the world. When God calls Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. The last thing I would say is this, too. Number four. 
I love that Boaz speaks up for God, right? I love that Boaz speaks up for God. Verse 11 goes like this. We can, we can read these here. We got verse 11. Boaz replied, that word replied right there, it's like he raises his voice, right? If my dad was preaching, he'd be raising his voice at some point at the, uh, during the sermon. Boaz raises his voice and he replies, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. Listen to this beautiful, beautiful line. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What a beautiful metaphor that he uses there. A beautiful image. So what Boaz does, and this is the way I would kind of paraphrase that. He says, Ruth, I've heard your story, right? I've heard what your story is all about. I want to tell you about how your story kind of fits into God's story. Remember, she's new to the nation of Israel. She's new to Yahweh. She had spent and been, and been kind of formed and grown around the God of Chemosh, the, the Moabite deities, the pagan deities. And Boaz is saying to her, he speaks up on behalf of God. He says, I've heard your story, young lady. I want to tell you how your story fits into God's story. I want to tell you about your story and God's story. One of the things that we have as a men's group, just a plug for the men's group, if you're not coming, right, Dustin? Uh, if you're not coming uh, to the men's group, one of the things that we've done is we kind of created a, a vision statement. How about that, huh? We have like this vision statement. And then we used, because our church is best known for its wonderful anachronisms, right? It's called lean. Because as men, we want to lean on, on God and we want to lean on one another. The L stands for learn. We want to learn God's word. We want to learn about the truth that, that we find in the scriptures. The E is to encourage one another. Men, we just can get dogged. We can get burnt out. We can get... Um... We, can, we can get um, tired and we need the encouragement. We need the A. The A is to hold one another accountable. If there's one kid that can get away with it, it's this one, right? If there was other kids, I would be shooing them off the stage with this one right here. Are you going to go to the park? <laughs> I know you're like, what was Eric talking about? That girl's too cute. Learn, encourage, accountable, and his narratives. Right? We want to learn the God narrative. We want to understand the God narrative, the story of God. And then we want to understand our narrative too, how our story fits into the God narrative. Here's kind of our little sentence. We understand how our narrative fits into the larger Christ narrative. And speaking confidently of what Christ has done in our lives and what he wants to do in this world. Peter, the verse that we kind of attach to this. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are. And always with the utmost courtesy. I love that Boaz does this. I love that Boaz speaks into this woman's life and he says, I understand your story. I've listened to your story. I want to tell you how that fits into the God story. I want to tell you how your story, the old, the old church word would be, your testimony fits into the testimony of Christ. And then again, that last little sentence there. May you find shelter, right? The God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So as I think about Boaz as a vision of kind of where I want to be as a worthy man, woman, outstanding character, 
man of substance, honorable, right? I want to praise God in my work. I want to bring that to my workplace, even if it's just me sitting at my desk doing my job and preparing a sermon or answering emails or doing finances. I want to do that. I want to protect and care for racial, ethnic, gender outsiders. I want to literally be a blessing to people. I don't just want to say, God bless you, or I'll pray for you, or good luck, right? I want to be a blessing to people. I want to figure out ways that I can do that. And I want to speak up for God. I want to tell people about, listen to their narrative and how that fits into the God narrative. Is that enough for this morning? I think so. Let me say a word of prayer and let's do some discussion. Such rich, um, incredible character, this man, Boaz. Thank you, Lord, for for bringing him to our attention this morning. Um, Again, just praying that, you know, somebody here is is sitting and needed to hear a word from you this morning and you're speaking to people and you're encouraging them and and showing them a new direction. Um, Through this time of discussion, Lord, may we listen and uh, share and be honest and vulnerable. Um, Thank you, Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, the three P's, the praise, the pushback, the problems. Uh, is there a current living person whom you look up to or imitate? You maybe want to talk about them for a second. How would your work experience change if you adopted Boaz's attitude? Who might be considered an outsider that you stand up for? What is one action step you might take to be a blessing Do you feel confident conveying your narrative and God's narrative? Spend a few moments on those questions and then we'll have some group discussion time.